What a wonderful day to praise the Lord. There's uh, 40 years since worship in 1981. 40 years of gathered worship. That's a big deal. And so today, uh, the message will be part celebration, celebrating the faithfulness of God in establishing and placing this church here. Part inventory. I like to do a little uh, state of the church every once in a while. And so uh, this is our fall kickoff. We're transitioning from uh, the doldrums of summer into the rhythms of fall. And so uh, we're not in a new series today. This is a standalone message, and we will be in something new next week, so I'd encourage you to come back. Some might say that the church was founded in 1986. That, that number is often uh, put out there, and here's why. That's technically true. That's when this church became self-sustaining. That's when there were no more ties to supporting churches. Uh, essentially, that was when the church chartered itself. That's why those members are called charter members, in case you didn't know that. Uh, They were members at the time of the chartering of the church. However, every church that is started, or planted, to use today's words, has a first moment. There's a first moment of gathered worship. Today, we would call that a launch service. That's our word that we use today. But in the home of Gene and Mary Ryder, that was the launch service. And since the church is a people, it's not a building, Worship services were happening. Bible studies were happening. I believe it's appropriate to count those years in between 1981 and 1986. They called themselves the Calvary Hills Baptist Mission at that time. But today, we would just call that the church planting phase. And so today, we want to celebrate that. I think it's good to celebrate people, to honor those who had a hand in starting this church for the vision and drive to create something when there was a spiritual need. It's always easy to burn something down, break something. It's hard to build something, and that was done. We may not think of this often, but every church that has ever existed started somehow. You ever think about that? Every church that has ever existed somewhere started for some reason and somehow with some people. You know, the the city doesn't just build a church building and then put a sign up and says, starts at 11 a.m., and people show up, and then you find a pastor, and that's not how it works. People plant churches. So all churches start somewhere for some reason. This was a country church when it was founded. You would probably have to go 10 miles west today to feel anything like what it felt back then because San Antonio has changed so much since 1981. According to Brother Gene, who I got most of this information from, SeaWorld was not here. The the city had not yet exploded in its northwestern direction, though it was happening, and that's what started the thinking about starting a church. The major roads that we're accustomed to, Petrenko, Marbach, Calabra, 1604, were all single-lane roads. It felt more like ranching area, but a need was detected. People were moving here, and our founders responded to that need. It's appropriate to honor and thank those who did that. And we are here today because they did. Heading into the late 90s, this church was one of the fastest growing churches in the area. The large fellowship hall right over there, that was the original sanctuary. That was the first building built. A couple of years later, that two-story education building was built to add Sunday school and class space. A couple of years later, the sanctuary that we sit in today was built. So things were moving, upward trajectory. At the height of the church's momentum and growth, unfortunately, A split occurred unexpectedly in the 90s, draining some of the momentum that was built, and about half of the members at that time 
Just as things were building back a few years later, another split occurred. It was clear that at that time, what the church needed most was a time of peace, trust building, healing, and stability. Pastor Randy Houston came and did that faithfully for 20 years. After Pastor Houston retired in late 2017, the door was open to ask the question, now that healing has occurred, now that time has passed, now that the office of pastor is trusted again, what kind of church are we going to be for the next generation? What does the next era look like for CHBC? And after an 18-month interim period and some healthy soul-searching, Calvary Hills called a 30-year-old worship leader out of a church plant in Colorado with 50 in attendance on a good day, having had no senior pastor experience before. By all traditional metrics, this was a questionable decision at best. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I believe that God knew that we needed each other at that time. In April 2019, 77 members voted to call us here to CHBC. And you've let me learn on the job, and I greatly appreciate that. And as if moving to a new place and taking a new job and being a first-time senior pastor and becoming first-time parents wasn't enough, this all happened during the strangest couple of years possible that in no way we were prepared for this in seminary. The COVID-19 time had forced pastors to make unprecedented decisions for their churches. But again, I believe that God's hand of providence was with this church. Placing our family here in 2019 was, I think, God's hand to give us enough time to make changes and preparations that would allow us to weather 2020, and not only weather it, but thrive through it. At the end of all that, here we stand going into 2021, and I can report to you, I'll put on my presidential hat, the state of the church is good. And for that, I think that we ought to celebrate. Yes, we ought to celebrate in general, but we ought to celebrate the one who made it all possible, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd of this church. God has sustained this church for 40 years through difficulty and through success. And we're asking him to continue to sustain us, to dwell with us, to guide us into our best days. So before we look at God's word, I want to invite you to pray with me. Our Lord, I ask you to be with us in this moment. Lord, help us to remember this day. Help us to, yes, see wonderful things that have happened. But Lord, in all things, to credit you, to give all glory to your name because your hand has been on us, Lord. As we open your word, would you open it to us? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like, turn to the classic text of Psalm 23 today. As I sought a text to bring to your attention, the Lord really impressed upon me to choose this passage. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to do it. It's too popular. It's not my style. I like to be a little out there. So, uh, but God said Psalm 23, so that's where we are. Really, this chapter illustrates his nearness to his people, his goodness to his people, his sustaining power in our lives. And because God has done that for us, I think it's worthwhile to look at it and thank him for it. 
I want to break down Psalm 23 into a little mini-sermon. It's going to be six points as we celebrate God's faithfulness to us. Let's read it all up front. It's a short one. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. As we think about this church, and as you think about your life, we look at this psalm, I see six ways that we can describe the faithfulness of God and give Him glory in that. Number one, He is our provision. He is our provision. David begins this psalm with the running metaphor of a shepherd and his watch over a sheep. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That word want means deprivation. It means lack. The Lord meets all of our basic needs. The Lord provides for us. Last week, we referenced it in a sermon. If you were here, you remember uh, the discussion on manna. Today, we sang it in a song. God established himself as the provision of his people in the wilderness with manna and quail and then even water coming from the rocks. And Jesus echoed that sentiment in the New Testament when he said that God feeds the sparrows of the skies and certainly he will supply all of our needs. Therefore, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So does this mean that we don't go through lean times? Does it mean that there won't be times when we can't buy or eat or drink or do whatever we want? Does it mean that life has no hardships, whatever? No. But it does establish that everything we have is given to us from the Lord. God routinely provides for his people, especially when we live with him as shepherd under his care and under his rule. This church has seen seasons of plenty. It has seen seasons of drought. But God has always provided. The Lord is our shepherd we shall not want. Number two, he is our nourishment. He is our nourishment. In verse two, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Well, what's happening there? Really two things. If you're a sheep, and I said, you can have this old uh, dusty patch of uh, brown grass, or you can have those green pastures. Which one do you want? You want the nice green pastures. You want to go eat from the shire, if you will, where you can drink safely beside still waters. But secondly, what is, what is described here is a place of comfort. I mean, you probably feel relaxed in your mind when you read this psalm, don't you? It has a cathartic effect, a relaxing effect, because you're thinking of lush green meadows, gentle flowing rivers. God nourishes those who are weary in life. He takes people who are burned out, burned over, and weary from this journey of life, and has a way, in his time, has a way of leading us back to green pastures and still waters. How many of us can say that there has been a time in life when we were just burnt and needed some still waters? Anybody? You need to be restored. There's times in life when that happens. You know, I've met with many of you who have joined this church 
And it's very fulfilling to me to hear that our church has been a place of rest and restoration for you. As you search for a church to call home, teaching that will feed your soul, we have played a small part in that. And I want to thank the Lord for being a nourishment to his people, comfort and rest. Number three, he is our guide. Number three, the Lord is our guide. Verse three says, he leads me in paths of what? Righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes the path of life is a straight line. Sometimes you can see it, you know exactly where it's going, and you go there, and it's easy. Sometimes the path of life is winding. Isn't there a song about that? Every day it's a winding. I don't know. What? I've only heard that on a commercial. Is that a real song? Okay. <laughs> Some songs you only hear on commercials, and you're like, then you hear it in real life. Hey, wait, that's, okay. So sometimes life is that, is that winding road. It's, it, goes up, it goes up and down. It goes in valleys. It goes over mountains. It doesn't make sense why you're going where you're going. And it's in those times in life that we really need to trust our guide. We need a guide. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. We read the words of God. We trust the leading of the Spirit in our lives to guide us. And verse 3 says that when we are led by our shepherd, he always leads us to paths of righteousness. It's the faithful and good God who leads his people toward righteousness, always desiring our ultimate good. The enemy will seek to lead you down paths of unrighteousness and evil, resulting in your despair and in your pain and in your sin. But for the glory of his own name, for his namesake, our God guides us into righteousness toward himself. Number four, he is our protection. Number four, he is our protection. Verse 4 says, this may be the, I don't know, the most famous one. And this is in rap songs, right? Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse reminds us that the Christian life is not exempt from valleys or darkness or death. Rather, the promises we are given are that the good shepherd will be with us leading us through that dark valley. We are encouraged to fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. David mentions two shepherd's instruments. What are they? A rod and a staff. These are protective instruments. Instruments that the shepherd would use to keep evil at bay, wild animals at bay. We might say it today. I know we'll recoil at this, but your knife and your gun, they comfort me, right? These are things that were used to ward off predators. And David writes that he is comforted by the fact that his God carries a rod and a staff and is not afraid to protect the sheep. A faithful God is not only present when needed, but defends the ones whom he loves. Number five, he is our vindication. He is our vindication. Verse five says, you prepare a table before me, not just to eat on a nice and sunny day. Why? In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. If you read the Psalms and you read First and Second Samuel, you know that David's life was often spent on the run or defending himself or at war. I'm glad we live today. That's a tough life. Combine this with the fact that the ancient Near East was an honor and shame culture to be exalted among your peers 
was a big deal. And often, people would fight to be honored. David says, I don't play in that. God is the one who exalts men. God prepares a table of honor before David, before his enemies. God anoints him and fills his cup. In other words, don't spend your life trying to make your name great. Let God do that for you if he wants to do it. If he wants you to be exalted among men, let it be because he did it, not because you forced your way. When others wrong you, let God be the one to bring them low. Now, if we stop and look at this passage thus far, we will see the faithfulness of God on display to David. It means faithfulness means God's been there for you. He's dependable. He's reliable. And he is truth. And if you're a Christian on some level, you've experienced the faithfulness of God. Something in that should resonate with you if you're a Christian. When you hear those words, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Something in that hits the heart of a Christian and says, yes, he has been and he is. I know that we are a recipient of God's grace and kindness in our life. First of all, because he saw fit, if you're a believer, to draw you to repentance. He could have left you. Could have left you in your sin. He gave you his Holy Spirit. And in faith, you called out to believe upon Jesus Christ for salvation, to have a living, active relationship with him. That is the highest goodness of God toward us, isn't it? But I also recognize that God has been good to Calvary Hills Baptist Church as a church, wherein many area churches are struggling. God has poured out blessings upon us. And I want to talk about that for a second. Before we look forward, I want to review some things that are worth celebrating. Can we thank God about some things today? Is that all right? It's a good thing to do, right? To be thankful to the Lord. I know we got a couple, couple months till turkey time, but I can be thankful in September if you can, okay? I just started to you know, put these in order, and, I, and it just didn't make any sense. I was going to try to give you a top 10 or something. I just I gave up on that. I want you to know. So these are just wins in no order. These are just wins that I think we ought to celebrate together as a church. Because sometimes, you know, I talk about this with people. I may say something on Sunday night, and you're not there. I may say something on Wednesday night, and you're not there. I may write it in an email or a post or share it in some, but we're all here together. So I want to say it while we're all together. Okay, because little pieces and pieces, I want us to hear it all, what God has been doing in this church. Now, we were probably averaging about 150 people in attendance on a given Sunday morning one year ago, so September of last year. We felt pretty good about that. We were pretty excited about that. Coming out of COVID, uh, crazy numbers, lots of folks still uneasy about coming to church. We started 2021 with about 180, 190, so there was a little bit of growth there in the fall. That steadily climbed up until around May of this year when we had our highest attendance in a very long time on a non-holiday. So just on a random Sunday in May, we had 300 people here. That's amazing. That really is amazing. And our average attendance, now we hit the summer slump like everybody. We all were traveling. It's all right. You can travel. That's okay. But we averaged about 250 people over the summer. And that's been our pretty, our pretty normal week. And I would not be shocked if that continues to rise going into this fall. 
Now, again, that's numbers. But what's each one of those numbers represent? A person. Those are people. Those numbers are you, actually. Many of you are one of those numbers because you've come here in the last year. Brother Gene told me I could do this. All right, I wasn't going to do it. The Spirit hit me. I'm going to do it, Brother Gene. Okay? Now, if you've joined this church, ballpark, if you've started attending this church in the last year or so, would you just raise your hand? Look around. Look around. Okay? See? Not even enough free hands to clap. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I just, you know, I just think that's awesome. That's just, that's amazing. Let's talk about membership now. Members that join the church say, I'm saved. They'll check a box. They'll say, I've been saved. I've been baptized. I agree with your doctrines, your beliefs. I intend to give. I intend to participate. And I'll join a Bible study. I'll serve when you call on me. All of that. That's what a member is. How many members do you think have joined this church in the last year? One year ago, counting from then till today, 60 members. 60 members. That's amazing. And, and we have about 15 people in the pipeline right now that are supposed to, I'm supposed to get with them or have a deacon get with them in the next couple of weeks, but we're just going to count them next year, okay? All right, we did not count them for this. I believe the greatest gift, I mean this, I really mean this, I believe the greatest gift that God has given to this church is the spiritual strength and maturity of its membership. There has been an abnormal amount all right? Now, I hadn't, I hadn't been around forever, but I've seen some things, all right? I know some people. I talk to people, all right? There has been an abnormal amount of godly people who have joined this church in a short time. I'm serious. I think it's one of the most exciting things. We, it may be our greatest asset that we have is, is you guys. On that note, I, was added that, uh, I would add with that, we have had five deacons added to our church this year. Some churches can't find a deacon with a search warrant. We added five. We effectively doubled our deacon body, five qualified men. That's something worth celebrating. We've had four men, other than myself, preach a formal sermon to this congregation, whether on Sunday morning or on Sunday night. And these are not gritted and bare, painful, wince and get through it, JV team sermons, okay? We really have good preachers in this church. Again, not customary to our attendance level. That proportion is strange. You need to know that because that's how you see God's got his hand on us. We started four new classes this year in addition to what was already going on before. I'm very proud of the Bible studies that we offer right now. We have children's studies from birth through fifth grade, a youth class from 6 to 12, college and career, a Christian foundations class, a men's class, a women's class, a young adults and families class, two adult co-ed classes, a senior adult ladies class, and now an off-campus ladies class. Not to mention we've started a women's fellowship, and the men's fellowship is just, come on guys, we're sputtering right there. We've got to catch the women, but it's close. That's pretty good isn't it? That's a pretty good lineup of classes that we offer. Worth thanking God for. We're working through our mission challenge. Those benchmarks that we have, maybe you don't even know we have one. Our mission team has a seven-year 
benchmark challenge that we're trying to hit certain marks to stay on mission. And they are trying to do those things. I gave them a really hard seven-year challenge, didn't I, Mr. Rich? It's rough, right? But they're trying. We have continued to hold quarterly events that give us touch points in the community where our Christian selves can rub shoulders with non-Christian people, all right? Because we got to do that. we got to find ways to do that. We've given away over 1,100 bags of food this year, 300 survival kits, and 100 backpacks to kids. You did that. You did that. We've maintained strong relationships with our missionary partners. We've been visited twice by Jeff and Caitlin, as well as once by JP and Cassie. We've engaged new partnerships with the Baptist Student Mission and plan to be a vital part of launching the new college ministry at Northwest Vista College. In addition to paying 10% of every dollar that comes into our offering to missions causes, that's normal, that always happens, we gave over $7,000 this year to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which was a church record. Thank you for doing that. I'm hearing reports of people starting to go out witnessing in neighborhoods, prayer walking, stopping to chat with people in garages, sharing the gospel with others. There has been a bit of a fire caught in some of our young men. I know who you are. I know you've been going out sharing the gospel with people. I love it. I love it. We have a family, the Bachichas, I see you. You, didn't, you thought I wasn't going to name you. I named you. Who are in talks with the IMB about cross-cultural mission work. Now, this is a long process. Nothing may come of this, okay? This, a lot of people get turned away. Uh, it's a long entry process, so nothing may happen. But I'm excited that somebody put their yes on the table for cross-cultural mission work. This is a specific answer to prayer. To see people rise up and accept the call to international cross-cultural missions. Hey, nothing might happen. Y'all don't have to go. Nothing might happen. I know I'm excited, but I just think it's a sign of health in a church when people say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. No, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling emotional today. Ugh. Can't do it. All right. I want to tell you a story about what a healthy church looks like. A church where someone with a gift from God can come and use that gift for God's glory. When Angelo and Brianna came to this church one year ago, when they were coming, they were in need of restoration and healing. Angelo had come from a place where he felt discouraged, burned out, not sure of his calling or what God had in store for his life. When we met, he told me that CHBC and listening to God's word being proclaimed boldly began to rekindle that flame. Within one year, one year, listen, they started serving on the worship team. They started in our young adults and families class. Angelo sat through my training course on preaching, God bless him, and delivered a sermon a few weeks ago, a very good sermon, and has been ordained as a deacon in this church, has contacted the IMB, and has enrolled in seminary classes one year. Because that's what God can do. That's what God can do. And we ought to thank him for that. God has been good to us. He has blessed us with additional resources. And because 
you've given faithfully to the Lord, we were able to increase our budget in the middle of the year by $100,000 in the middle of the year. That's more money to missions. Because remember, we give on percentages to missions, right? So the more we get, the more we give. That's more money that goes to our ministry teams, more money to be able to upgrade and repair things in our facilities that need to be repaired and upgraded, more money to take care of that debt that's been hanging around for way too long. We are $64,000 away from being debt-free. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I don't know. Six months probably will be, will be when we do that. Now, I'm just crazy enough to think that if we remain humble, if we keep giving God the glory, if we keep seeking his face, if we refuse to coast and rest on our haunches, he is likely to keep blessing us. Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I couldn't even name everything. We got to get this thing done at some point, right? So, but isn't it clear that God is still moving at Calvary Hills? He has been to us what David wrote about in Psalm 23, our shepherd. We've not wanted. He has brought restoration to people. He has led us in righteousness for his name's sake. We have feared no evil because he has been with us. He has prepared a table and anointed us, and our cup overflows. Lastly, number six. You forgot we were doing points, didn't you? Number six, he is our future. He is our future. In Psalm 23, 6, David looks forward and says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That classic psalm resolves with David resolute in the steadfast, loyal, covenant love of God that it would remain with him all his days, that he would enjoy the blessings of communion with God forever. And if you're in Christ, you can too. I think like David, we celebrate what God has done for us. We also long for those blessings to continue, though. Kind of like Jacob, you know, I'm not going to let go. Whoever's wrestling me, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to keep doing this till morning. We're going to hang on, keep asking God for a blessing. We long for that continual relationship. We long for our days ahead to be as bright or brighter than the ones behind us. And that is only going to happen when we dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we all get airbeds and live in this building. That's not what it means to live in the house of the Lord. That we go to church five days a week, seven days a week. No. To dwell in the house of the Lord means worshipful communion in God's presence as a way of life. It means a living and active relationship with Jesus Christ through picking up your cross daily and following him. It means engaging the spiritual disciplines, meaningful Bible study and prayer. And yes, it means gathering with your church family to worship and encourage and equip one another. Specifically, what does this look like for us? Every church, I think it's interesting. I don't know, a couple years ago, 10, 15 years ago, churches started doing mission and vision statements. I, you know, I thought we all had the same one. Maybe I'm just dummy, but, uh, we, got, but we have them. We have them because it helps people understand what you're about. I get it. Maybe, maybe unbelievers need to see that from us, so I'm good with that. But we're all reading the same Bible, right? So like, we should kind of have the same vision and mission as a church. But I think the reason why that started was because we look around and we see there are many of those that we're not doing the same things. We're doing very different things. 
And so with that, I think every church ends up having its own culture, its own DNA. What makes you unique and distinct? What does this look like for us? Well, our mission, what we do, this is not revolutionary. I just took it from Acts 1. We boldly proclaim Christ and represent him in this world. That's what we do. That's our mission statement. That's our primary mandate. It's a summary of the book of Acts. So how does that work itself into our DNA? Well, first of all, we're going to continue to be a word-centered church. Preaching, yes. Teachers in the room, yes. Personal lives, yes. Yes to all. And when I say preaching, I don't mean sermons sprinkled with little pieces of Scripture. That's not what we do. I don't mean that the preacher starts with a Scripture And then by the end, you're like, where did we start? What is this about? That's not what I'm talking about. I don't mean that we cherry pick from 50 different verses to support one idea that we created for ourselves. I mean that we are going to be known, and I think we are known, for getting into the text and working through it line by line, respecting the original author's intent, not avoiding hard topics, not avoiding hard books, not preaching the same tired 10 inspirational sermons over and over and over again, but getting a picture of the whole counsel of God. That's what we're about. That's why y'all like it here, right? Also, the application has to be bold. It has to be bold. We need to be a bold church in times in which we currently live. The time for infighting dumb churches, the time for wimpy cotton candy churches is over. Those churches aren't going to stand in what's coming. Listen, there are a sea, S-E-A, a sea of churches who generally fit into two categories in San Antonio. I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm just telling you because y'all have told me where you came from. When you join here, I ask everybody where you've been. And so this is not me making up stuff. This is I've got a good sample size here, okay? And it gives me no pleasure to report this, but it's about true for 80% of what I can tell San Antonio churches that fit into one of these two categories. About half of the churches in this city are old, traditional, declining, and still fighting over music styles, operating by inside politics and angry business meetings and deacons with a death grip on their church. They make no effort to be welcoming or inviting or engage the community and can't figure out why they're in free fall and no one wants to join. They're chasing what church used to be in the 50s more than they're chasing Jesus. The other half, the other option, it's just that same brand of syrupy, sweet, plain, vanilla, mass-produced copycats of the 10 hippest churches in America. They look the same, they talk the same, they dress the same, they use the same playbook. If you've ever been to a church like this, it's sort of like they tried to mix together Baptist and Pentecostal, but shaved off the offensive parts of both, turned up the showmanship meter, turned up the prosperity meter just enough to where it won't trigger people. If you've been to a church like that, you've likely left saying something like, it wasn't overtly bad. I just left feeling hungry for something deeper. Chinese food. Can I say, church, I think that is what makes us special, that we have provided the answer to what is between those two horrible options. We're a little bit traditional in some ways, aren't we? Are you ashamed? Some of y'all are a little traditional. That's okay. We sang hymns out of a book last week, 
and y'all liked it. <laughs> I had, I'm going to point at you. I had the three young girls ask when we were going to do it again. They're less than 10 years old. I mean, it's uh, so y'all are a little bit traditional, okay? But we're a little bit modern in some other ways. We're going to go deep, yes. We're not afraid of deep theology. We're not afraid of saying unpopular things. We're going to sing all styles of music. How about we sing the good songs and let the chips fall? We're going to sing songs and sacrifice for one another. You might have a day where you don't like the style, but guess what? It's worth it to sacrifice to be in a multi-generational church. I learned that a long time ago. You know what some sad sounds? The sound of no kids interrupting your sermon. That's a sad sound when it's deathly quiet in here and it's perfect. Everybody's just sitting prim and proper because it means there's no kids in here shouting at me. I'd rather have them. I'd rather have them. Okay? Right? I want to I be a church where a grandparent, a parent, and a grandchild can sit on the same row and go to lunch together after church. That's important to me. We're going to talk about being on mission at this church, taking the gospel to our neighborhoods, starting Bible studies, planting churches, revitalizing churches, operating a food pantry, strategic partnerships with missionaries in South Asia, praying for one another, visiting the unreached, unengaged Chaturtha people, engaging college campuses here with the gospel. We're going to focus on getting church members involved and serving Training people needs to be a value here. Training people for ministry needs to be a value of our church. To replicate yourself, to allow others to serve and use your gifts. I want you to know, I try to model this. So if you're in charge of something at this church, you ought to be three deep. We at least ought to be as good as a football team, right? Next man up. Injuries happen all the time. Watched my team yesterday embarrass me again. Tennessee Volunteers, it's a rough time in Tennessee, all right? I'm sad about it, but guess what? First string quarterback got hurt. Second string had to come in. You know that happens in churches, just in different ways. Not, it may not be a torn ACL, but we ought to be at least three deep in every position, getting people involved. I try to model this for you. I try to have other men that can stand up in this pulpit and preach, and guess what? We have it. I try to have other men that can sing. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Ms. Patty. Other people that can lead the worship service. The goal is not to just come and sit and soak and for church to just be a thing that happens to your body. And I just, I soak it in, then I go home. And that's it. It's a, supposed to be a place where you serve and get involved. We have to continue to invest. We have been. We have to continue to invest in our kids, in our youth, in our college. We have to get our parents involved in the life of our kids, equipping them, training them to have our ministries staffed up, funded, and on fire to prepare our kids for the onslaught that is coming for them in this life. It has to be a primary pillar. Our kids, our youth, has to be a primary pillar alongside the word and missions. It's that serious. If we lose them, we lose everything. The foundation's gone. We'll be that old church that I described. It'll just be in 50 years. We can't let that happen. I believe that CHBC has the potential, and is, a very different kind of church. And by that, 
I don't mean a weird church. I don't mean a radical church. I mean a profoundly biblical church. I believe that we are a church, if you want to grow rapidly, if you want to serve meaningfully, if you want to focus on things that matter and be equipped to stand boldly to proclaim his word, I really think that can happen here. So is God going to continue to grow us in the next year? I don't know. You don't know. I believe it's likely that the secret about Calvary Hills will continue to get out. I believe we have to increase our evangelism efforts in this church. Our baptistry is, is not filled nearly enough as it should be. That's an area where we can grow in this next year. We need to, to not just be gaining numbers by church people hungry for a church that will just preach the gospel. By the way, keep on coming. I'm glad you're here. But I want to see more people that go from death to life. I think we ought to, we ought to want to see that. So... There's a lot of work to do. There's work that can be done from this room right here, right now. There are people that need to be discipled. Some of y'all need to be discipled. There are areas of our church that need volunteers. I could list it, but it'd be long. There are neighborhoods and workplaces that need a witness for Christ. There are churches in our town that are dying. We don't have to just point fingers at those dying churches. We can go alongside them and say, hey, can we help you do what some of the things we've done? Can we put our arm around you and help? If they want help, we'll help them. I'll say, anybody listening online right now, if you're in a church that's struggling in San Antonio, I don't know everything. We don't know everything, but we've been through it. We can help. Just call. All right? I want to thank God. I want to thank God for preserving and sustaining this church for 40 years. And as it stands today, this is a healthy, biblical church on mission. It's not perfect. We have our flaws. You do and I do. But I'm proud to lead this church, and I could stand account for it before God. I hope that you're proud to be a part of it. We're still asking God to give us more, aren't we? Are you done? We're still asking God to give us more, that we would continue to dwell in the house of the Lord, not just in the past, but all the days of our life. Pray with me.